Welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people. Welcome back. It's so good to be back. I hope the new year is going well. I'm Christopher Talon, author of the hit novel Switchers, which you can check out at ChristopherTalon.com or on Amazon or other places, but those are the two I suggest. And uh, before we get really into this one too, I would like to tell you about another podcast. Actually, I'd like them to tell you about them. As confusing as that sounds. Here, check this out. Hey, I'm Mike. And I'm Jason, and we're the hosts of the Threads podcast, Life Unfiltered. And we are on a mission to rid the world of Facebook fake, Instagram ickies, and Twitter takes. And we do this through unfiltered dialogue about faith, mental health, and uncomfortable conversations. And sometimes we talk about really deep and serious topics. And sometimes we talk about stupid stuff and make jokes and talk about our lifelong goal of being great at fitness. But no matter what, we are unfiltered as we talk. So we hope that you join us on the journey. I love those guys. I've been on their podcast a couple times. They were the ones who really got me into podcasting. So big shout out to Threads. Uh, Check out Threads podcast, Life Unfiltered. Moving on to what we got on the docket today. I spoke with Jason Demon, who I've known since I was approximately 19 but uh, we went a long span of time before we reconnected uh, recently at a concert that our friends were playing. I was kind of helping out a little bit with some roadie stuff, just kind of mostly putting stuff on the stage and then helping them get it back off again. And Jason was doing guitar tech work, like actual work, uh, at a Heartsick show. We talk about Heartsick a lot, too. I'll put Heartsick in the show notes. Awesome band. A couple of the guys have been on this podcast. Um, but yeah, Jason talks about being a musician, being a creative, going out uh, to New York, working in film, and doing a lot of stuff with sound and music, and then getting cancer, and now he works in the uh, medical cannabis field, so uh, cancer-free and kicking ass. Here's Jason Demon. Thank you for coming on the show. It's good to see you. Uh, and this is like the second time we've seen each other uh, in probably like 10 or 15 years. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. It's hard to believe time passed so quick, but great to see you too. Thanks for having me. For people out there, you and I met through a friend of ours. He was in a band with you. His name was Miles. Oh, yes. Miles Cusick. Yeah. Which last time I heard he was like flying planes in South America or something. Yeah, you know, I've kept in touch with Miles over the years. He's uh, still considering him a dear friend. And last I heard, he's still living in Michigan now. But he did have a stint in Chile, and he's still playing guitar. So love that guy. (laughs) So we had been around each other a lot. Never really got to know each other just because most of the time I saw you was at shows and stuff. But then we reconnected, and we're like, we got a lot in common. We should talk. this show i do all the original music and i met you because you were in a band with somebody while you were studying jazz at michigan state that's right yeah i was in a band with miles studying jazz he nailed it at michigan state university in east lansing michigan that's right so what led up to uh you studying music where was your like early roots of like oh man music is great for me i was like probably i don't know fifth sixth grade and i would pick up a baseball bat and like pretend that i was playing along with the beatles or something like that you know what i mean yeah totally that's a really good question so i was raised in a musical family my mom's a musician and my parents some people don't know this but my parents were candle makers Hmm. for their career as i was a young kid so you know that left some time for my mom to play music in tennessee where i grew up and 
the first time I really realized that I was a musician as kind of an identity was um, I remember in early memory I must have been five years old and I was singing in the car with my mom along with the radio probably some Madonna song or who knows what was on at the time and I remember just hearing the harmony notes that weren't there in the song and I just realized that my brain is kind of wired for this music thing mm. uh, and ever since then I just kind of knew that my identity was as a musician at least in part do you have a memory like that that you can kind of point to? I know that my dad was always a big fan of music. So we would always be listening to he'd put in a cassette tape back in the day of Earth, Wind and Fire. Then he would take that out and put in some Beethoven. So it was like always a very varied selection of music that I was exposed to. And then I was probably in about that same age, like fourth, fifth grade. And somebody I knew that played guitar was like, hey, man. My dad's got this old drum set. Why don't you come over and we'll be in a band? You know, and we were terrible, but I started playing those drums, ended up buying that drum set, then ended up getting a better drum set and kind of got into music that way. So it was more through uh, more through friends than it was uh, a family thing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that reminds me of another memory. When I was in the eighth grade, I got to be a part of the high school marching band because I had a great band director, mm. Mr. Hicks, down at Gatlinburg Pittman High School. And uh, he was also the middle school band director. I was a trumpeter at the time. And uh, there was this kid in school named Patrick. Patrick Johnson is his name. And, you know, I'll probably send this to Patrick later once once this podcast is out. But Patrick was playing along with a Nirvana album. And I just remember the song, Polly. I mean, he was playing that song. You know the song. Yeah. Polly wants a crack. kind of starts like that. And it's, it's a really easy acoustic song. But I was just captivated by by that. And I noticed that the high school kids that I kind of looked up to at the time were also really into it. So I just thought, man, I got to learn how to play this guitar thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, just watching my mother play guitar at a young age also kind of shaped my opinion of the guitar as an instrument that, you know, my mom's playing folk and country music and here's Patrick playing this new kind of music called grunge. And from that moment, man, I was just hooked on the guitar for sure. Yeah. It is crazy. Even without, an electric guitar just an acoustic guitar you can play blues you can play uh gospel you can play rock and roll you can do anything on those things it's amazing it really is you know and i was looking kind of through your bio and your website and you've had some pretty interesting experiences you know one thing that sticks out to me was when you met buddy guy yeah and um you know i always felt like buddy guy kind of played a little bit like an acoustic player. I don't really want to go down a rabbit hole with that, but I mean, <laughs> just hearing how he approaches the the music and the sound always reminded me of the acoustic guitar, even though he's known for electric playing. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I agree. I mean, the guitar itself is such a versatile instrument. You can play really anything on it and it's not easy either. Um, no. It takes, yeah, I mean, have I mean, you ever you can, had experience? You can learn some bar chords and you can play like a, a four chord song pretty quickly but when you're trying to like individually strum and you're putting all your fingers including your pinky down you're like ah <laughs> yeah totally i mean i taught guitar for many years i had some great students and i just remember the struggle of telling people it's going to get better the tips of your fingers won't always feel like they're going <laughs> to fall off you know yeah because yeah. you know yeah. if you don't if you don't play guitar and you're listening it's like you know, you have to push really hard on those strings, right? And then you get these deep grooves in the ends of your fingers, which eventually turn into calluses, but it can be really painful. So yeah, anyway. it can, it can burn, it can split skin open a little bit. I think I've seen somebody bleed from playing the guitar once or twice, but that was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I mean, look, I've split my hands open playing guitar for sure. Whether oh, yeah. it's a live show and you get a little bit, too much into it or yeah. you're you just miss, having a good time yeah you, you hit it with the pick but you come through with your knuckles first and you really hit the guitar and you just shred the outside of your knuckles oh yeah that's <laughs> happened yeah, uh, dangerous sport So at what point then, uh, at what point from you being like, man, I got to figure this thing out, 
did you actually get your hands on a guitar or a bass guitar or whatever uh, your first stringed instrument was? Yeah, man, you're bringing back so many memories. This is great. So <laughs> I got really lucky with my mom being a musician. She had a 1973 Gibson Les Paul, kind of like the Black Beauty model, but with the double humbuckers. And I just got so lucky with that. And I remember opening the case and just marveling at this beautiful instrument. I mean, it smelled kind of like, you know, old pennies. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. she hadn't really played it in a long time. So that kind of became my axe. And my mom, you know, to her credit, gave me this really expensive, beautiful instrument to play at a young age. I was probably in eighth grade. So, I mean, that's, that's like kind of how I got being my... like, I want to learn piano and you get like a Steinway. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of got lucky with it. And my mom was really supportive of it. I mean, she she made these like makeshift chord charts and put them on my bedroom oh, nice. wall. And yeah, so I was always looking at, you know, the finger positions. But I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to play Nirvana Unplugged at that yeah. time. <laughs> um, which is, as you know, it's all bar chords, kind of like what you said, you know, like one finger here, second finger there. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Except on this string, but let's just ignore that one for now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, those early memories are really cool to reminisce about. And uh, funny story, I ended up selling that guitar for my mom later on because it was just kind of gathering dust. And mm. at that point, I had I was in college and I, I appreciated the instrument so much for its classic value and I didn't want to touch it. Yeah. So I ended up selling it on eBay. I think we sold it for five grand or something, which oh, at wow. the time was... It's probably worth 20 grand now. Who knows? But yeah, good memories, man. When was your first guitar experience? I remember very specifically, there was a kid named John Karagoulis that we went to middle school and then high school together. And he had an acoustic guitar that was like a three-quarter size guitar with nylon strings on it. Yeah. And I was like, hey, hey do you ever play that? that? And he's like, no, no my, my parents got it for me or whatever. And I said, I'll, I'll trade, trade you a suicide, suicide machine, machine CD, CD for it. it. And he was like, sure. sure. So <laughs> my first uh, guitar was, yeah, a three-quarter nylon string that I traded a, a Scott Punk CD for. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What a good trade. Yeah, it, was, it worked out great for me because, you know, ultimately, I, I don't even know if I would still have that CD if I <laughs> had never gotten rid of it. But I have the skill of playing the guitar now. That's so cool. You know, we have that in common, Chris. Um, I also traded for a guitar one time, and it was, it was probably around eighth grade, but I was living in Tennessee in a community called Pittman Center, and my parents had their candle shop on this road. It was called uh, Powder Mill Road. Mm. And I don't know if that was from, like, the gunpowder days, you know, <laughs> back in the South. Everything's named kind of weird down there. Um <laughs> But anyway, as a kid, I was really enterprising, but I didn't really have a way to make money. So uh, my parents gave me a book of stamps and they said, you can have these. And I went down to a yard sale and they had this little guitar that had a speaker on it. It was just a hunk of junk. But do you remember those guitars? They'd have like a little speaker and you could turn it on as battery powered and the yeah, speaker yeah. would play the electric sound, you know? Yeah. So I traded that book of stamps for the guitar. And at the time I thought, oh, these stamps are so valuable. but you know, the lady that sold me the guitar probably just wanted to inspire me and gave it to me. But um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. drilled into my head i guess i'm going to college someday but i had no idea what i wanted to do once i got there which is why i didn't do very well the first time but you did you feel like okay, okay I'm, I'm going, going to, to college, college from, from a you know fairly young age and were you always like it's, it's gonna, gonna be music. music you know that's a great question just thinking back on it i didn't really think college was an option at a young age i, mean, mm -hmm. I came from pretty humble beginnings and it just wasn't on the radar you know i had a talent for music as a youngster but I didn't really understand where that was going to lead me. I just knew that I, I had this identity and this really cool creative thing. So as I went through school, I realized I need to do really well in school if I want to go to college as an option. Hmm. But I don't think as a youngster, I really 
had that as a goal. But one thing my parents did give me, you know, you mentioned your parents drilled it into you, like you're going to college. Um, You know, my parents being self-employed and craftspeople and artists themselves were kind of like, you You can can do whatever you want, want, which is good and bad, right? Because then I'm like, oh, that's a lot of pressure at a young age. But at the same time, as things evolved, I was able to understand, okay, I can, there's things like scholarships. I can actually maybe potentially go to college even if I can't afford it. So it became more of a reality as I went through high school, got into honors bands and things through that, um, mm. through that experience. I realized, okay, there's a need for talented musicians or people that can come on scholarship. Um, so that's how I got in, actually. I didn't even realize that you were an out-of-stater. I just kind of, <laughs> I just always assumed like 60% of uh, the kids that go to Michigan State that you were from a high school 50 miles away. So the story behind that is my parents were in can- the candle business and mm-hmm. they decided to move to another touristy town from Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which was, I don't know if you know about Gatlinburg. Yeah, I've been there twice, actually. Okay, cool. So, you know, it's, you know, they have the neon lights and all the tourist attractions. Um, yeah. So they found this town called Ludington. It's on the west side of the state of Michigan. And um, I'm pretty sure my dad moved there because my brother and I were really into music. My brother's a saxophone player. Mm. And the band director there, um, Bob Parker, was a great trumpet player. He went to Michigan State, actually. And so we moved there my sophomore year of high school, and that put me closer to Michigan State and connected me with folks that were also connected with Michigan State. And that's how I eventually ended up at Michigan State. And years later, we would meet. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, okay, let's fast forward. Um, duh, um, uh, what the, um, but, uh, duh. Um, okay, you've been in a band through most of college as you're approaching the light at the end of the tunnel where you're like, all right, this party can't go on forever. When uh, when do you start looking for jobs and what does that process look like? Are you getting mostly no's? Do you land something kind of quickly? After college, I felt like, all right, great, I'm going to be a musician. And I learned quickly that it's not easy and you have to make a living and support yourself. So I moved to New York City and looked for a day job because I felt like that was a good place to cultivate my creative side and stay in music. But also there was opportunity there for a day job. So I went right into the real estate business. I was a realtor in Manhattan for about four years. Mm. Um, And that's how I paid my bills, Chris. It was, you know, a real hustle. I remember I'd be on a date, you know, because I was a single guy at the time and we'd be at a nice dinner whatever, whatever was nice to me at the time, um, <laughs> right. whatever I could afford. And I'd be answering my phone and, you know, it's like just remembering that hustle, but in the music side of things, you know, definitely shaped me because I was getting a lot of news when you're a creative person, probably a lot of your listeners are used to hearing, no, you know, because it's just built into the creative arts or maybe it's a yes, but it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be great exposure, but it doesn't really pay that much. And a lot of that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's built in, right? So mm-hmm. got a lot of that, uh, but I was luckily able to sustain my music career throughout that and started to get some breaks when I started to push more into the live music scene. And then later I went into being a film composer and that's when things really started to take off financially, even though it was, you know, kind of meager salary at that point, but at least it was that light at the end of the tunnel, like there's something out here. I can actually make money and have make a career of this. So then at that point, did you kind of go from working all day and whenever else trying to get gigs in to just kind of being like, all right, it's all about music now. Yeah. I was really lucky that I was able to make enough money composing to rent a small studio in Brooklyn. And by small, I mean, picture a room that's like 10 by 13 and i have my desk stacked in there sometimes there's a drum set in there and my small recording setup and i just started writing and composing working with all kinds of different writers worked on some short films student films and you know i was just hooked but financially you know still wasn't really doing it for me yeah Um, it's really tough when you're in the creative arts to make a living and it's always kind of an up and down i don't know if you've experienced the same thing but financially it's you know 
there's there's good times and there's bad times yeah well and even uh even if times are relatively consistently pretty good i know banking <laughs> as an entertainer is is horrible i've heard many people on the show say yeah you know sometimes i'll get paid for a show that i put together and it's like a five seven thousand dollar just lump payment and then other times it'll be a couple hundred dollars here a couple hundred dollars there and the bank will go oh what's this big one hold on we're gonna freeze this for 45 days okay yeah i mean the self-employment thing is is like that and um lots of struggles lots of roadblocks um so you know fast forwarding a little bit I ended up having a really good friend in film and he's, he's a fantastic filmmaker. His name's Clayton Perry. And we actually met at, in East Lansing um, around some of those shows. I don't know if you remember on Michigan Avenue, there was this legendary party house called the Brown house. And it was right next to the DKE fraternity, the mm -hmm. Deeks as they're called. Yeah. And I mean, this place was always hosting bands, artists, musicians. They had like a weekend party schedule. That was insane. And, um, Clayton Perry, the filmmaker whom I would befriend then, went on to be my roommate in in uh, New York City, and um, eventually that led to me getting into sound production for a little while, and then I started to make more money. Um, kind of sound production. That's that sounds really, really vague to me. What what do you mean sound <laughs> production? Yeah. Um, well, you know, in the world of film. Under the umbrella of sound production, you've got you've got your post production, which is kind of like if you've ever been to a recording studio and laid down guitar tracks, you'll have an engineer there, there's microphones, you know that whole thing. Um, when you get into onset production, um, that's more like you know sound mixing on the set. You're recording dialogue, you're recording some found sounds on the set, and what I was doing was um, a little bit of both. So. I would do some sound mixing for some really great director friends of mine and some other gigs I got hired for to be on location doing sound mixing. And, you know, just picture me with big headphones on, trying to be as quiet as possible, <laughs> wearing all black, um, tiptoeing around in some really quiet shoes, uh, wiring people up with mics. And then, you know, when the director's the first AD says action, um, you're basically holding a boom mic and recording at the same time. And then that evolved into a couple of bigger gigs where um, there was a film I worked on called the climb where I was the boom operator. Uh -huh. And you've probably famously seen boom operators made fun of a lot on television where the, <laughs> the microphone will hit somebody in the face or yeah, yeah cut drops down into the frame. So, um, and that's a whole other skill and talent, but I was taught well by Clayton and um, I really enjoyed that because it allowed me to be creative. It's a lot more creative than you would think, right? Because you're listening to the sound of someone's voice and trying to capture the best possible tone and make sure you've got all the dialogue. You're swinging the mic around and it becomes creative because as you learn the scene, you have to figure out where do I position my body? Where do I position the microphone? Mm. And even ahead of that, it's like, where do I put the microphones on the set to capture some things that we're going to need? So I think you'd really like uh, boom operating, you know, it, you, it sounds fun. And I mean, like, I've always said that whatever I end up doing, it should be something where the work is like what you do is fairly consistent, but how you do it every day has to change. And that sounds like that exactly. Yeah, totally. And with your skills, you know, I've heard the tracks that you play on your podcast <laughs> and some stuff that you've got on your website and it's some really great stuff. And I feel like a lot of those skills would really translate over if you ever wanted to boom operate. And that's where <laughs> I found myself was like, okay, I've got really great ears for mixing my own music and recording. Mm. And now it's just like a one-to-one -one translation right over into boom op. So yeah. yeah, we could talk about that offline sometime. I mean, there's, yeah, <laughs> it's a really fascinating, fun thing to do. And there's a lot of opportunity for it. Yeah. That'd be good for me too. I need to get more, more uh, upper body work in lately. <laughs> <laughs> totally. My son was like, can you do more push-ups than me? And I was like, yeah, he's nine. And I got down, I got to like 24 and I was like, oh, uh oh, this isn't good. <laughs> 24, that's impressive. I don't know if I could do 24 real push-ups. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, no, I beat him and he was like, oh man. But I was like, see? <sighs> <laughs> that's cool. I love yeah. kids, man. Nine, nine years old is a cool age too. My wife's got two young brothers and 
we've seen them kind of grow up and um, big skiers. The uh, one of them plays piano, the other plays ukulele. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I just think nine years old is like that golden age where you're like, you still have most of your innocence and the world is just all ahead of you still, but you're starting to get good at some things. And um, it's just great to see kids at that age really develop and blossom into the young adults that they become in the next two or three years. (laughs) Totally. doing that that's when you found out that you had cancer right yeah that's right so yeah okay. so what happened was i was working on the climb yeah uh, which is a great movie got picked up by sony classics go check out the climb really interesting story it's about um sorry to take a left turn here but no, it's about okay. two guys two, two guys, guys kind of clayton perry that i mentioned before is the sound mixer on that project and i was the main boom operator up until i was working on the film my wife was out of town and i had read that you know like about the leading causes of cancer in men my age i never really thought about it before like that so i thought you know i'm just gonna check so um i realized quickly that it was likely that i had um, testicular cancer and I didn't know much about it at the time, but um, I was kind of convinced because I read about it. And so long story short, I went in, had an ultrasound, had a second ultrasound. And indeed, uh, unfortunately, cancer it was. So I had a surgery. But that really kind of put things into perspective for me, you know, because at the mm. time I didn't have my own health insurance. And um, well, I mean, and you're realized... not an old man now, but when, how old were you when that happened? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's uh, 2018, so it's been four and a half years now. Uh, so I would have been uh, 37 years old, just shy of 38. But I mean, this is the most common form of cancer for men between age 14 and 50, I think was the the uh, age range. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I knew a kid, um, I think his junior or senior year in high school, he had a testicle removed because he had cancer. In high school, like that's, you don't hear that a lot, but yeah totally it happens and you know i try to make it my mission to just tell the story about it because i was very lucky and fortunate i found it very early Mm. if you know anything about cancer they do a staging which means like how far has it progressed in your body and luckily i found it on my own in stage 1a uh, which basically means it's the beginnings of it so i just try to talk about it enough to where you know your listeners can maybe understand that it's a common thing and that it's not the end of the world. And it's, if you're going to get cancer, every cancer is bad and it affects all of us. I mean, everyone I think knows someone that's been affected by cancer and it's a really tragic thing. Um, so if you can catch it early, then your outcome can be really a lot better. Um, so guys, you know, talk to your kids about it. Um, check yourself once a month and, um, it's really important. I mean, if, if my words and talking about it can help one person, find this disease before it's progressed in the body and you can just live out your life more normally like I am now, um, then, you know, mission accomplished for me. So thanks for allowing me to talk about it a little bit, Chris. Yeah. And just to, just so you're not the only one talking about it, I thought I felt something one time and I called my doctor and they're like, well, there's definitely something there. Let's get you on an ultrasound too. And so then you're just sitting, sitting there holding a washcloth <laughs> over your dick. Well, well, some <laughs> nice lady, is like uh uh yeah okay uh where did you say it was this side over here yeah um <laughs> yeah yeah uh and it turned out they're like yeah no it's that that's nothing to be worried about but you know good good, good. for coming and checking it out good yeah and it's something i can joke about now but you know it's and it's good it's therapeutic to talk about it and make light of it because you know it can be a really serious thing i mean the yeah. I was scared as hell going in there, man. I was like literally sweating, sitting there like, you know, same thing. I'm talking about it and laughing, but in the moment I was not giggling. Oh, I can imagine. And it's an unpleasant experience. I mean, I can just picture what it was like for you because I mean, they, they put this warm stuff on you and then it's like, 
awkward and yeah so but um definitely best to check it out and um you know i get all kinds of like jokes now you know like people people just like to joke with me about it and i think that's good um but anyway cancer sucks I um I sort of went back to my own vision for my life and realized like you know I'm not really where I want to be and hmm. so you know both career-wise and just personally so I decided it was time to more actively give back and I feel like being in the creative arts is also giving back I mean you're creating stuff that people will come to you later I'm sure you've experienced this and they're like man that one song lyric or that one passage that you wrote in that chapter um, and switchers, you know, is like really spoke to me and changed my life. And that's, you can't replace that feeling, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's nice. Cause you know, obviously you make things because you feel compelled to, but when somebody says, Hey, I really like that. It does. It, it, it adds an extra layer of niceness to it. It sure does. And I think there's real value in that. I mean, I believe that music heals people and so does literature and art and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it helps people relate to the world around them and not feel so alone. And on that yeah. note, you know, you mentioned Heartsick playing at the festival in Grand Rapids. Um, I wanted to mention a story. It's a quick one, but Alfonso Seville is the singer of Heartsick. And I think, you know, Alfonso a little bit. Yeah. He's been on twice. Um, yeah. Alfonso is a great friend of mine and just a, an amazing human being. Oh, um, good guy. Th this guy check him out and check out Heartsick. i mean alfonso pours his heart and soul into that band and um so you know rewind a little bit 10 years ago or so maybe 12 at this point i was really heavily involved with the band as uh i won't really say co-writer but i was working with them on production on their on their records and there are a couple songs that i helped them kind of flesh out the vision we'll say and worked on some lyrics with alfonso they're all his lyrics of course but we just kind of like workshop stuff together and yeah, yeah. help them kind of get an album put together um so anyway i remember he sent me a picture one time where someone on social media had gotten a tattoo of some lyrics that we worked on together and they were really meaningful lyrics and um just the fact that someone would tattoo words that <laughs> you know he wrote and that we worked on together that I had a part in was so touching to me. And it just kind of solidified the belief I always had that, you know, people are really affected by the art that creative people put out into the world and it can make a big impact and even save people's lives. And I think just that alone is reason enough to keep creating and keep going. Even when the going gets tough, you're not making a lot of money. People are saying no to you more than you're getting. Yes. Yeah. People will even make fun of you online, stuff like that. But just remember why you did it in the first place, you know, is what I always tell myself. Um, and that still holds true today. Yeah. yeah. That, and you're right. There are people, if you do stick your neck out in any way, like the very first thing I put on TikTok was um, just a, a still picture of me getting interviewed on TV. And the first person that did anything commented, you got on TV and you don't even have 50 followers? Like... <laughs> okay thanks man <laughs> yeah it's brutal it's brutal you know and people don't see the value um but that's not who we're doing this for you know right it's yeah it's it's not the people standing in the back heckling it's it's the three or four people that really connected with you at first and then that audience grows so yeah. you're right yeah and that that shouldn't be something and i know it is for some people don't let that be a reason to stop you from doing what you're doing people being like, oh, well, you know, I put my stuff on social media, but somebody's probably going to be like, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I went down a rabbit hole on one person who online was like, I wrote a little bit of your book on the free sample, and I had several issues with it. And they, like, wrote a full essay on why they didn't like my book. And I'd start clicking around on this person, like, let me see who this guy is. And I was like, oh, oh. And I won't go into any details, but, like, I was like, this person has a really sad life. Um, I'm just going to let this go. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story. I mean, I think it's important to to share those things because, you know, you're such a talented writer. You've got also other creative talents. I mean, this podcast is really great. And oh, thanks. I feel like, yeah. And I feel like a lot of times people don't understand like 
it's not always rosy. Um, and it's, you know, when you're just getting started, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah. So it's good that you're sharing that. You know, if you, if you think about like bands like Heartsick, I mean, those guys have gone through so much criticism and um, they've done a lot. I mean, they've shared stages with most of the bigger metal bands to come through. I mean, they're, you know, they're a great example of that. Um, yeah. yeah, man, I love the creative arts. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I won't make us make too big of a thing about it but you were also in one of their music videos too and i thought you did a great job in that i never got a chance to tell you <laughs> oh thanks yeah i was kind of bummed about that that was um do you remember the name of that video i can't even remember it oh no i can't but it was a uh, back in the no life days and yeah they... you and a couple other guys and you all, you were all down at uh mount hope cemetery right yeah that's right <laughs> i was yeah you know that day i feel like alfonso tricked me a little bit because that day he um <laughs> He's like, hey, come be in my music video. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. This will be cool. So I go down there and then I find out pretty quickly that I'm playing the bully in the yeah. video. So, uh, but that was cool. You know, I'm happy to do it. Um, those guys are cool. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but I, I directed and wrote one of their videos that, um, for a, a song called Dixie Cup Dean. And, oh, nice. um, yeah, it's a cool video. We had a lot of fun, and it turned out differently than I had envisioned. But isn't that how you know art always is? Um, yeah, yeah. I've heard a but, lot of people I mean, say that, that before. You gotta, you gotta be tolerant of the mistakes because sometimes there's really good stuff in the mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I learned a lot from it. You know, I would approach it differently if it were today. But I met a lot of great people. The cast was really good, and we filmed it on a shoestring budget. I think the whole thing cost like under two hundred bucks, and. Um, <laughs> the community really came together to, to produce this video and it's great. I'm still really, you know, proud of what we all accomplished. Um, I don't yeah. know if proud is the word, but I'm impressed what we pulled off. And, um, so, well, you know, check fun it to out. Be part of that evolution too. Cause you can watch that and then like go through and see the years, uh, between and up till now too. You know what I mean? It shows you an evolution of musical stylings and artistic stylings too. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I feel like everyone is just always, somewhere on the journey of becoming a better us, you know, and it's like, you know, that's a nice snapshot, like you said, to look back on, but also I feel like, you know, as I get older, you know, I'm 42 now. And when I look back, you know, I might've thought a picture of me wasn't a great picture or something 10 years ago, but you know, you look back on stuff like that and you're like, man, I was looking good in that picture <laughs> or whatever, you know? And, so it's it's interesting and it just points to what we're kind of talking about too. It's like if you're in the creative arts or you're a creative person, you know, don't second guess yourself. Just put yourself out there, right? I mean, that's what I keep telling myself. It's like just get out there, do it. It's never gonna be there's always gonna be somebody better. There's always gonna be something that you don't like about it. But when you look back on it, I feel like it's gonna be better than you thought it was in the moment. And um it's all part of the big picture, you know. jump right in towards moving to the end since we are on limited time moving on from being cancer free congratulations very happy thank to hear you. that for you thank you yes and that has moved you into more of a medicinal cannabis focus uh and i'm really excited to hear more about this because i didn't catch any of this from you the last time we talked yeah i mean we got some catching up to do you know i feel like the last time we talked i was running around trying to get stuff together at the concert um and you were trying to enjoy yourself at the concert. So there was a lot going uh, on. Yeah. Lots going on. Um, as usual, that's just how we roll, I guess. But, um, yeah, yeah this is nice. So, so yeah, um, I kind of decided that I wanted to get into a new industry that was budding at the time, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> and I, I wanted to explore the cannabis industry and, you know, cannabis is something that I always knew prohibition and the war on drugs was unjust. And, yeah. you know, I learned in, in school when I was studying jazz that cannabis prohibition 
was really tied to racism, racism in our country and, you know, black and brown people. And, you know, there's a history there that's really messed up. And I had this really cool, you know, talking about the music thing. Um, my camera keeps falling down. That's where I'm laughing. Um, but talk about the music thing, you know, I once sat on a bus with a musician from Europe. I won't tell you who it was, but, um, you know, we talked about cannabis for like an hour and a half because someone was selling hip bracelets at their concert. And, you know, he was just educating me about cannabis and how it was decriminalized and, uh, or not decriminalized, but how it was originally prohibited and criminalized and Mm. it's ties to music. And that really opened my eyes because this was a musician that I really respected. And I was just a kid at the time. Um, But anyway, fast forward to later in life, um, through my experience and my run-in with cancer, I uh, had a reaction to the opioid drugs that they were giving me. Mm. And so, you know, I, at the time, um, I didn't have a medical card. Cannabis industry was kind of newer in New York Mm. City where I was living. So I ended up cooking up some cannabis on the stove for pain medication just to recover. And it was so effective and it worked and it just really solidified what I had known all along. And, you know, just so you constipated, didn't give you the shakes when it wore off. Yeah, that's right. I didn't get addicted to it. You know, I wasn't like, you know, trying to like go out on the streets and find it afterwards, you know, like, yeah. So all that stuff. And, you know, I've had people die that are close friends of mine from um an opioid addiction and you know it's it's just really sad so anyway uh without going into that you know i decided to start looking around and i found a company in new york city called fp wellness and they seem to be in it for the right reasons they came from the pharmaceutical industry the founders did and so i decided it was time to to try and give back in that way i wanted to be across the counter from people who are suffering from debilitating and life-threatening illnesses and help them out and share that experience. So I applied, I, I got in and um, the rest is kind of history. I mean, that progressed through the years, but I was able to practice search engine optimization, which is something that I started in Lansing back in the day. Mm. Um, another musician, Jeff Schaup, great drummer. He's still in the Lansing area. He works at Michigan State now in their jazz program, but he helped me get connected with a company there called Spartan Internet. And I was a SEO specialist Back at the time when SEO was kind of a new thing, no one even knew what it was. And now it seems like that that acronym is everywhere. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, I feel grateful that I was given that opportunity. I mean, we were one of three companies that were allowed to operate in New York at the time. And I must have been one of maybe like, I don't even know, this is going to be a stupid guess, but maybe I was one of like 25 bud tenders in the whole state, maybe 30 at the yeah. time. Um, patient care specialists are called. So. Yeah, man, that was the the beginning of it right there. And so how did that progress? Because now you're in, um, now you're back in the Midwest, right? Yeah, that's right. We were acquired by a wonderful company called Green Thumb Industries. And, um, you know, I was a part of their awesome rock star team uh, for the last three and a half years, helping them scale and grow. And, um, you know, can't say enough good things about Green Thumb. My experience there was was really great. Super grateful for it. Um, but that kind of enticed me to move to Chicago to be closer to headquarters. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I noticed that your book is at, um, is it farmhouse wellness in Grand Rapids? Yeah. 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 So I, I've seen some of your posts on Instagram, you know, hanging out at farmhouse and I went there one time cause I, you inspired me to check them out and I was in Grand Rapids and I went there and they had curbside pickup at the time with COVID and everything. And I was kind of bumped because I mean, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's in, it's in this guy's house, right? Like it's a house. It's a house that they bought. It's actually a really, really good story. I'll give you the quick version. Um, but he, he yeah. told it on the podcast and one of the, one of the earlier episodes with uh, Casey Cornelia. Anybody wants to look for that. Um, he had a small, area of land that he could look for places to open a dispensary in legally just because they called them the green zones and this one street was like perfect it was right off the highway so he just went door to door knock hey can i buy your house can i buy your house and then this one guy was like all right let's talk so he bought this guy's house fixed it up and it's uh it's 100 uh a business nobody actually lives there 
Nice. That's great. Yeah. So we went by and I think we picked up something before going to see Tool in Grand Rapids one time nice. a couple of years ago or maybe last year. But yeah, super cool. So anyway, you know, I'm a huge supporter of, of people's individual freedoms, personal freedom. Um, you know, I think the war on drugs has been just horrible and it's great that that's starting to turn around. But, yeah. you know, back to kind of my life's purpose um, and maybe you share some of the sentiment, too, but it's like, you know, helping people through cannabis is just one way to give back. And I'm also starting to get back into music. I really put it down for three years, but I realized how much of a huge part of my life it is and how much I was missing it. And that's part of why recently I stepped away from my role as um, SEO manager at Green Thumb and uh, started my own business. So now I'm helping a couple cannabis companies. I'm helping uh, some integrative medicine clinics and a few other clients. So, you know, the saga continues, but um, I'm looking forward to sharing some some music with you, Chris, in the future, because I really dig what you've got going on. And I'd love to get your perspective on my new stuff. It's a little different. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I actually uh, just recently got paid for the first time. Somebody said, hey, can you make me a song that's kind of got this vibe and this vibe? And I was like, yeah, sure. Nice. And I threw out a number and they're like, okay. okay. And so. I've uh, gotten into the world of yeah, paid uh, like commercial music. I was going to say design, but whatever you call it. Congratulations. That's great. I'd love to yeah. hear it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can send you some stuff, some stuff that I've made for other people recently. I'd love that. I'm sure you probably know way more than I do. It's fun to make music when it's something that you would never make on your own, but somebody presents it to you almost like a challenge. Can you make something that sounds like this? And then like the ego and he's like, I'm, I'm a great musician. musician. I, I can, can do, do anything. anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm kind of reminded of composing. Um, I just read a great article from the composer where they interviewed the composer for the glass onion show on Netflix, which is kind of just huge right now. I don't know if you yeah. heard of it, but you know, it's like, you'll meet with these brilliant directors and they have a, a concept for a film or maybe the film's already in the can, so to speak, picture locked. And it's like, you know, okay, cool. It's a, it's an adventure film and I'm going to capture this emotion or whatever. And you know, that what you said reminds me of that. And I imagine that's kind of like how you felt, you know, when you got that gig where it's like, okay, I see what the audience wants or what the director wants. Let's do it. You know, it's a little different, a little outside of what I would make just if you asked me to make something, but I love that challenge, you know, and that's, that's part of flexing that creative muscle, right? It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can do that. Being um, curious and stretching your curiosity, you know, I think is really important to personal growth. And so having those opportunities to me is, is important. And it's, um, it's a gift really when you're in yeah. the creative arts. Yeah. And it's fun because I don't know how to describe it even, but when you're sitting there trying to compose and arrange stuff and you're like, Oh, you know what would sound good here? Maybe a glockenspiel, but then you're looking for a sound and then you're like, ooh, that actually sounds I'm gonna put that in there. And people, you know, I somebody that paints that's close to me was like, How do you know just what sounds to put in where? I'm like, I don't know. How do you know where what color goes with that color? They're like, I just know. I'm like, oh, well, there you go. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's always inspiring when you're just experimenting and I call those happy accidents where it's like yeah. Oh, I tried something, but that's actually better than what I was envisioning. Super cool. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I got a couple of things I want to send you after after we get done here. Um, speaking of which, I know you have a hard out in like two minutes. So uh, is there anything you want to talk about or anything that you want to say as we kind of move towards goodbye? Yeah, well, first, just thanks for having me on the pod. Um, got a really cool thing going. I love how you're highlighting creative people and the creative arts creative ops um so definitely check out um if you're listening check out chris's book if you haven't already it's on kindle and it's on amazon i just want to give you a plug because you know i've enjoyed what i've read so far and i think you got a real talent there and it's great to just be able to explore that creative side of fiction which i'm kind of leaning into a little bit more uh, um, thanks buddy yeah and if you want to check out more of what i'm getting into um or if you're a founder a business owner a creative person that is looking for help or consulting or inspiration, you can check me out at jasondemon.com or um, connect with me on LinkedIn. 
where I've been posting a lot of creative things lately and trying to learn how to write, just trying to get somewhere close to 10% of where you're at, Chris, learning about headlines and story structures and and all that. But yeah, reach out. I'd love to connect with you if you're listening and um, let's just keep this conversation going among us creatives. Yeah. And it's Demon with two M's. It's like Demon, but with two M's. That's that's nothing, nothing to, you know, I don't want people to get, (laughs) <laughs> negative connotation stuck with you but like just for ease of remembering how to spell it that's that's usually what i say but that's probably pretty common i imagine that's right and that worked really well for me when i was in the metal music industry you know demon was two m's <laughs> but it's, it's jason demon d-e-m-m-o-n thanks for calling like, that out this guy's jason demon oh yeah like, actually it's De- uh yeah, yeah i'm jason demon yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you got it nailed it chris cool man well um Anytime you have something exciting going on, let me know and I can uh, have you come back on and we can talk more about that and just get deeper into it next time. Sounds great, man. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the pod. Yeah, man. Let me know next time you come up to uh, see Heartsick in Michigan, too. We'll, we'll get together. Oh, yeah. We'll do. All right. Sounds great. Cool, man. Bye. All right, guys. That's Jason Demon. D-E-M-M-O-N. JasonDemon.com. Go check him out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check out the show notes. Uh, all the information you need and or want will be there. Or you can direct you to there. To there? Yeah, to there. All right. See you guys next time. Mwah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Weird, right?